live. Welcome back, handmaids and pop culture theologians. We're so glad you're back with us for another episode of the Pop Culture Theologians. Um, you definitely want to make sure you're following us on all of our social media. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Pop Theologians and on Facebook at Pop Theologians. Make sure you're visiting the Engaged Gaze, G-A-Z-E, although we do have some Engaged Gaze, G-A-Y-S, <laughs> but that's another story, um, www.engagedgaze.com, our host site. And we're going to give a quick shout out to our uh, sister podcast, Bible Bitches. We love them. But we love the Bible bitches. My main bitch, Marcy. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, John. I actually just finished my last day of work before I go on vacation. So I am popping another bottle of champagne while we record. So I'm super excited. I am going to Mexico for um, like a week and a half. So I feel fucking fabulous right now. Um, you should be. <laughs> you deserve I'm, it, Marcy. I'm really excited. I'm I'm excited to be not in the US. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a, a hell of a, a week. It's yeah. been a hell of a week. Do you want to talk about what the fuck happened this week? Marcy, what the fuck happened this week? So Ivanka Trump went to the G20. Yeah, and she uh, went to a lot of other moments in history I'm seeing, too, apparently. <laughs> so maybe the best viral meme to come out of the Trump administration so far is unwanted Ivanka. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to my brother who introduced me to it way before it started trending all over Twitter and social media. Um, like most of you, the rest of the world, including the French government, was mildly confused as to why Ivanka Trump was at the G20. Um, you know, she is not an elected official. She is quite honestly like a booger on a three-year-old. Like she I, also doesn't have an official role in the administration. She I doesn't. She doesn't. She um. She it, it's all under the the code of like an advisor to president, which is nepotism for bullshit. So, the way that the world works right now is there's not a lot of great shit going on. Uh, climate change is going to kill us all. Uh, but every once in a while, the internet delivers. And my God, the, the internet has delivered an unwanted Ivanka. So um, to begin with, we owe our French brothers and sisters a shit ton of love because they released the video of, <laughs> of Ivanka trying to insert herself into literally talk, like, like, like talks at the G20 between world powers. And here she is like, trying to insert herself and uh the french government has kind of said like sorry we didn't think it would get that much viral attention um yes they did they're all shady y'all i'm french a quarter, shady. i was about to say i'm a quarter french 100 percent. that was some le shade and i'm totally here for it um some of my favorites john if you have favorites some of my favorite unwanted ivanka's that i've seen this week was <laughs> ivanka at the moon landing uh Ivanka. Mine was Ivanka with uh, the Allied Powers at the when at the end of World. Yes, <laughs> yes, I saw Ivanka at the guillotine with Marie Antoinette, which was great. Um, 
one that I wish I hadn't laughed as hard as I did was one of her sitting right next to Anne Frank writing in her diary. Um, it's just literally the internet went wild with this. Um, and that's pretty much all we can do. Like we have not been able to topple the Trump presidency and I'm using air quotes because it is an illegitimate presidency and anyone who doesn't think that should not be listening to this podcast. <laughs> so, or maybe you should be. Or maybe you should be, right? Because we're going to tell you otherwise. Um, but no, just like a, an, a great week for the internet. Um, I, who, I, I can only imagine what the next week looks like with 4th of July coming up and uh, Trump's military style parade on its way. So yeah, that was, that was a big one this week. Uh, also um, involving social media of all things, uh, Trump crossed into uh, North Korea via tweet. So I don't know if any of you guys saw how this whole thing originated which was Trump put out a tweet to the great Supreme leader of North Korea say, yo, I mean, if you want me to cross over, we could totally meet. And then North Korea was like, yeah, totally. It's going to be super cute. And then it happened. And, and uh, I don't have a lot to say about this other than there is a reason we haven't legitimized a, like, like, a monster like there are no words to quantify the like to to get a full spectrum of like the horrors that have happened in North Korea because we don't even know the depths of it right like North Korea is something that we will not fully understand what we let happen on our watch until we get in there so like until it's toppled and we get in there we won't even know uh, which is why other pre no other American president has ever stepped foot on North Korean soil um, it's because we don't legitimize like mass murderers. Like we just don't do it. But well, they kept referring to the guy as the like the dictator, and I was like, which one? <laughs> Ooh, yes. I told you guys you would not be happy listening if you're a Trump fan. Uh, yeah, it, it's just extremely like disconcerting. Um, one of the best things I would say to folks to Google, if you haven't seen it this week is they did a comparison of North Korean news stations reporting on Donald Trump arriving in North Korea with the way that Fox news reported Donald Trump arriving in North Korea. And they are verbatim the exact same messages. And we for certain, uh, feel very comfortable saying that North Korea's news is a propaganda for their government, which is an authoritarian dictatorship, right? Um, watching Fox News should lead us all to an understanding that we have a very big propaganda problem in the U.S. I'm like stumbling over that word because like it's just really difficult to process. Like we have a propaganda problem that is working. Uh, it's really working and that's terrifying so um but also you kind of get a bit of a chuckle because like uh that is how illegitimate this whole thing is that is how terrifying it is that is how spot on it is it is not difficult to figure out what's going on literally you can put fox news and the north korean news up against each other and they're reporting the same thing we're on the wrong side something's gone wrong so literally. um john you broke some really great news actually 
a couple minutes ago when we got on the phone. So, you know, to everyone listening, you know, we are recording this podcast on July 2nd. Um, and right now, last week, the Supreme Court shot back um, the Trump's draconian measure to try to add a citizenship question to the census. Um, however, um, there was some gray area on whether or not they'd be able to appeal or figure out ways in which they could still get it on there in time because there's a cutoff date for printing. Um, but just as a couple minutes ago, the census will not include a citizen question. Um, and the Census Bureau will um, not include a question about citizenship in the printed questionnaire for the 2020 census, um, according to the Justice Department. So this is a major defeat for the Trump administration after the Supreme Court refused to allow the question to be added without further explanation from census officials. And we won't go into what all that is because it's a whole podcast on its own, but relish in the victories because I know sometimes they feel like they are small. Right. And I will say for anyone listening who's like, I don't understand why that question's a big deal. I work in philanthropy, philanthropic dollars, government dollars for grants and funding are all determined by population. So like this was going to hit cities really hard who receive like philanthropic dollars, government grant dollars. And here's the thing, most undocumented folks are paying in taxes and like the month like the connection this would have delegitimized cities in ways that like cities don't know how to get the message across but this is a huge win for everyone not just undocumented folks it's a huge win for everyone particularly cities that rely heavily on undocumented workers so um this should improve all of our quality of life uh encourage everyone to fill out the census and it happens every 10 years remember like as long as we get as long as we win in 2020 we shall be okay. <laughs> right. We never know when Trump's going to leave office because he's threatening to stay for like, like you know, generations. Yeah. If you, if you guys didn't see that tweet a couple weeks ago, it was terrifying. Uh, so on a final note, when it comes to news, uh, we just want to continue to encourage everyone, um, give, give, give. And then when you think you can't give, give a little bit more, um, give of yourself, of your time, but also of your money. Give up like a Starbucks or a pizza or for me, a bottle of wine Um, and donate to the organizations doing a lot of the work on the ground right now. The ACLU, Raices, Families Belong Together. Donate to to the candidates for the political campaigns that you believe in. Get involved. Like there are so many different ways right now to resist. I just encourage you to actively resist. Uh, when your great great grandchildren, or like me, if you have no maternal instinct, when your great great nieces and nephews ask you where were you in 2019, have a clear answer. Tell them where you are. Tell them how you spent your money. Tell them how you resisted. Um, this this all matters, and we believe in you. We believe in you. You can do this. So, John, you know what time it is? It's time to go to Gilead, isn't it? <laughs> Blessed be the fruit, John. All right, so just took a huge swig of my champagne to celebrate. Uh, these, can I, can I be really honest with you? Mm-hmm. These are my favorite two episodes of the entire series. Really? I don't know about series, but they're, they're really hard to watch, but they're really good. They are. I don't even think they're perfect. They're like problematic. And I will say that like, I had a deep love for last year's storyline with Nick's wife falling in love with the other dude and then getting thrown in the pool for reading. Um, 
but Ugh. that was like such a not great I completely forgot about that it's not a great description but i would say that was previously my favorite episode um but this is this is a good set i'm really excited to break these down so um let's start with episode five obviously um let's start with episode six and be wonky uh things that worked for me and for john um so i thought there was something so i think something's a brewing in the water you're you're we're starting to see the handmaids chit chat more and more in support of each other and in support of resistance which um is is completely different than how the show started which was the first time that June meets Emily, you know, she's like, we're here to fucking watch each other and I don't trust this bitch, right? Um, but this, this episode kind of opens with the handmaids congratulating June um, for Nick. We, knew, we know that the social media blitz has kind of blown up at the Putnam's last episode. So people are starting to hear that like Nicole is safe in Canada, right? Which is also them hearing that Nicole was kidnapped. But the uh, handmaids are like super kind of supportive of June at Loaves and Fishes and are like, you know, praise be that she's safe, like praise be. And like, that's resistance. Like saying like, it's a good thing that a child of Gilead got out of Gilead is resistance. And um, I thought that was that was good because I think the show is starting to set up that like no external saviors are coming for Gilead. Like Canada's not coming to liberate Gilead, right? Like uh, they're there for information. Like these people on these outside forces do not really care about the people on the inside. They're trying to, they're trying to ascertain like the military power of Gilead and all of this stuff. And, And that's not to say that I don't even think they would want to. I just think it, you know, Gilead we know from the books and and obviously foreshadowing some of the next stuff coming Gilead has control of DC, which means it has control of the news, right? So no one's going to get involved with the sons of Jacob if they are at the, the, the metaphorical, apparently literal button, according to Trump of the nuclear codes. Right. So. um, Exactly. And then we kind of get this snapshot of what June's plan is, which is, we talked about this a little last week, to like unify the Waterfords because she thinks she can get Serena as like an inside like spy. Like, mm-hmm. and then um, let's touch on that one first. What's your take on Serena being so sure that if she, it, like that, not Serena, June being so sure that part of the like, the whole plan is like Serena's a big part of it for her. I think June is putting all of her eggs in a basket that is not going to pull through. In a basket that we have been told repeatedly has faulty eggs. Yeah. You laid the groundwork for that analogy, but like, it's true. It's like, what the hell June? Like you're smarter than this. But I mean, it gets to goes to show like June's trying to utilize the resources she has and everyone's playing criticizing from the outside, but like she can only work with what's in front of her. So, yeah, I'm not here for that. I mean, I always was skeptical of it. I think listeners can know from my the other episodes, but yeah, it's I'm having a real hard time believing like this whole narrative between June and Serena because Serena ultimately doesn't have any power at the end of the day. I know June thinks she does, but well, and they I mean, this is a male controlled world, has power, right? They keep telling us that, like, but at the end of the day, like, 
then again, I, so at the end of the day, her husband chopped her finger off for reading as if no one in that room knew she could read. She is an architect of Gilead. She wrote a gajillion articles, blogs, papers before Gilead was created to advocate for Gilead. She is a famous author. Like it just kind of makes no sense. So then I almost backtracked for a second. I was like, maybe like that was Fred almost saving her. Like, Hey, I'm going to take your finger so they don't take your head kind of deal. Um, but I agree with you. I think the idea that Serena has a ton of power is one that like, she has more power than June. Uh, and we'll yeah. talk about that in a little bit, but she doesn't have power per se. Um, June's also kind of intent on like winning over Commander Lawrence, which I think is interesting. That character has not built out the way I thought it would. Um, I was really excited to kind of see, what is it? Oh my God, I'm like stumbling on his name. Bradley Whitford? Yeah, Bradley Whitford from the I, West Wing. I Okay, can I tell you a secret? <laughs> Um, we don't want our listeners to know that you've never listened, watched the West. Wing. I know it's so bad. I feel like a ton. Marcy, of- fake news. Hashtag fake, fake news. news. Next fake point. Um, so, like, I was excited to see. I do know what a wonderful actor he is, and I think he's been under underutilized. The only storyline I care about is actually connected to June's plans, which is clearly Gilead, and we've talked about this, has destroyed the psyche of commander lawrence's wife and destroyed their relationship and like june in her plans um tries to help them reconnect a little bit in hopes of winning some favor with commander lawrence so like she has this conversation with commander lawrence's wife that like sometimes when like the people we love are no longer resemble the people we we fell in love with like we can always find like little bits and pieces of them in there um which I thought was really sad. Like yeah. the fact that she's like, maybe there's like a little bit of him in there. And I'm like, girl, this is who he is. Yeah, girl, no. Girl, no, no. Um, but that can be hard. Like it can be hard to like look at someone that you loved and then be like, that person is now like an oppressor. Like that person is complicit, an oppressor, has caused violence and harm on people and like created or been, become a part of an institution that you can no longer like defend, right? And like, she's in a position that's precarious, like what's she gonna do, divorce him? Like, I don't think there's divorce in Gilead, so. Um, uh, yes, there is, it's called, they stone her to death probably. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, so let's talk about the bulk of this episode, which is the, the ask of Serena and and fred that june call luke and set up a meeting for them to be able to say goodbye to nicole yeah i you know the call was beautifully crafted and i think the acting was incredible and you definitely saw the pain on june's face but i mean holy moly i still think um june's husband is going to die no i know you do um so i will this and we can talk about this when we talk over stuff that doesn't work for me like um i don't think june has any agency to say no to this call right but it is devastating to watch luke's face as he like takes those couple seconds that they have on the phone to pretty much be like i love you i am so sorry are you okay and like, and knowing that like, he's not going to get anything from it. Like if she's not okay, she can't tell you. Like if she, like, she can't do anything other than just simply 
you know, to a certain extent convey, like, I need you to do this. Right. So yeah, I thought like, I thought that was interesting. Um, under the guise of Serena wants to say goodbye, actually Fred and Serena, cause like, um, Luke is the one who pulls the plug on, on Fred being allowed to see Nicole. Um, so yeah, an interesting development. I don't think it pans out in a way that works for me, but let's get there. Um, so Serena, oh, yeah. did you think Serena, when she was packing, was maybe packing for a forever trip? I was hoping she was going to see, be, I was hoping because when we saw that same actor and he basically was like uh, the same character as before. Right. You know, I wanted her to be like, she could have left. Like that was it. The character's name there. is Mark Twello. So he's the one who last season, when she does a visit, is like, I could get you out. I will get you immunity. She requires, I think this is important, she requires political immunity. So she has crimes that are high enough that a government would have to grant, like, clemency to her crimes, right? Yeah. But they offer that in exchange for cooperation and her, like, defecting. Um, So I I was very kind of like, oh, shit, like, maybe, because she packed a lot and like maybe that was the theme maybe that is what they were trying to accomplish maybe that i thought that was maybe the subplot that no one was saying on screen that serena and june worked out oh and which makes this the the ending of this episode extremely disappointing for for you then oh yeah that's why i was like fuck i mean but also like i mean and i think you write it really eloquently in our notes like so few well no woman has choices in the show except for serena Except for Serena. I didn't pick up on that until I was doing, like John said, we do kind of these like outlines for each episode. And I was like, Jesus, the only person, male or female, by the way, it's not just like the only person in the show who has active choices is Serena, which is what makes it, I think, so disappointing for the audience that twice now, twice she has turned down it's not escaping Gilead, but taking responsibility and, and like accepting that Gilead is not okay. And so like, and granted, she is one of the builders of Gilead. I can understand how difficult it would be to, to accept that. But like, she, she has choices. June does not have choices. Um, like Luke doesn't really have a choice. Fred doesn't particularly have any choices. Um, Aunt Lydia doesn't have choice. No one does. So it's, I think it needs to sit with us as viewers that like, if you were to take a look at the agency that everyone has, it's nothing compared to Serena who multiple times has been able to turn down leaving, to turn down completely upending her Twice. 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 Yeah. And she could have gotten everything she wanted. Right. Right, right, right. So... I have in, in our what works and what doesn't work the exact same two sentences because they work and they don't work for me in different ways. So this meeting happens where Serena meets Luke at the airport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, talk to me about how, well, I want to separate us talking about Luke's reaction and Serena's reaction. Talk um, to me about how you took Serena's reaction. I really felt the pain. And I do think I saw the choice that Serena knew she probably had playing out before her eyes and the ways in which she could have stayed or she had that option, right? But to be with Nicole, I mean, she wasn't even allowed to touch the baby 
until the end right, right? and that was after kind of like a, a bargaining with um with uh june's husband right and so when you think about the ways in which serena's you just see the longing on her face and i really and you know i think the one thing this show's doing so well this year is in these earlier episodes not to include the ending of this episode is they are making you feel for serena in some way like even in the next episode and we'll talk about it we feel for ann dowd's character aunt lydia in some way but it's really trying to make us grapple with complex female characters that we may not personally identify with which always makes it hard for people to really get behind and break down these nuances so like what's that thing that serena wants the most she wants a child but she also was an active partner in developing Gilead. So that means she does believe in its core principles. So what does that say, right? And so you see this Well, I, I would do an asterisk to does believe because there has to be some part of her that stopped believing the second she handed Nicole over to June to get out, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's very common. It is very common for people to come in and out of indoctrination. Um, if you, if you've ever watched any documentaries on like cults, if you've ever watched documentaries on like ISIS, right? Like there are a bunch of really like good documentaries. Oh my God. Which one is the one that I saw? My brother, uh, listeners, I will figure out the name of it. There was this like documentary about a dude who was documenting his brother, his indoctrination into ISIS and his ex-doctrination. Oh, I don't know what the word is for, uh, and then how he kind of fell back into it because it was so hard to settle into life again. Um, this is also really common for people who leave religious cults. Um, a statistic I saw recently was kind of great uh, to illustrate this, not great for them, but that like men who try, men who consider leaving the priesthood have like an 80% like return rate because they literally have no skills left. So there's no reason to, they, they have no ability to leave because they have no skills. The same goes for groups like, um, I was going to say like, like very traditional, like Amish isn't like a good example, but the Amish do work as well that like you just, you, what do you, what do you come out with? Right. And Serena like is interesting because like she is not in a traditional position of like, she has nothing to offer the world. Like she lived in a pre-Gilead world. She has skills. Uh, she also could potentially become like a symbol of the resistance. Um, she, she actively- like Katniss style. Right, she actively chooses not to. Um, I, will, I will agree with you that like the, um, the, the, the performance by um, Yvonne is like mind-blowingly beautiful. Like, you almost want to tear the child out of Luke's hands and hand her over to her for a second because you can feel the longing, the heartbreak, um, how desperately this woman has wanted a child. Um, so I thought that was beautifully played. Um, I will say I also, moving on to Luke, think Luke's portrayal of that meeting is exactly how I think it, sh it would be. Like his anger, his rage, and his distrust. The dude's looking over his shoulder like every 15 seconds. Like he feels so unsafe and feels unsafe with Nicole there. Um, well, I think he's constantly waiting for someone to come rip the child from his arms. Right, right. Um, what I will say is um, I think both Serena and Luke make 
fatal mistakes in this exchange. Um, and all of this goes back to June, but June did not have agency in asking for this call. So for this meeting, I think Serena's fatal mistake here is the fact that she thought that a proper goodbye would give her closure. Um, yeah, we, and that's if, not the case. That's not the case. And we know this because we have a really good scene to pull off of. So when June goes and sees Hannah at her new parents' home, right? Hannah is in a safe place. She's loved by these new parents. Like, but there's no part of June that's going to accept that. There's no part of June that is going to be like, she's okay. I need to walk away. And I know this has been hard for you to, to wrap your head around. I, I honestly do think that Serena is one of Nicole's mothers because of this fucked up system. Um, not biological, but she is one of her mothers. Nothing was going to bring her closure. Well, it's like the same type of question for motherhood that we examined when we talk about big love, right? Like, and right. what is ownership over a child versus what is actual biologicalness over a child, right? What does it mean to actually be a mother? Those are all conversations that we're having here. And I think we see that longing and love for people who can't have children, right? And these are oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. within theology, within religion, and within actual practice. Yeah. And so I think like for Serena, this backfires entirely. All of a sudden she's irrational in her inability to let Nicole go. And like, as a, as a woman, like I obviously have no motherly instincts, but I get it. I get that like that moment actually did more harm than good. And like, there was no way for June to prevent that from happening. Um, I will say, and like, this is, this sucks. Um, that Luke's fatal flaw was not reading the room. So like, what I mean by that is him being hostile and telling Serena that he's going to erase her and like that, he, that she like is a monster and all of this. I think he forgot for a second that this woman has June's life in her hands. And like, I don't blame him for it. But it was very dumb strategically. Yeah. You Luke isolated is, I her. I don't like Luke. I think he's like, bye-bye. I, I like Luke. Like, I think he isolated her out of his own, like, fury, which is totally justifiable, but, t like, knocked a domino that is now unstoppable, right? Because if he had been like, of course hold her, of course I'll tell her who you are, I know you helped June, like, she will know both your names, like, like, I don't know if, like, I, I don't know if that could have changed the course of, like, what is about to happen. But, but it didn't happen. Luke was like, fuck you. I'm going to erase you. You don't fucking matter. Like, you are a fucking monster. And, like, click, it, literally, you could just hear the domino. Click, 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 click. And, like, there's no stopping the train that's about to leave the station. So we get back to Gilead. and. By the way, the handmaid's name, who we couldn't remember last week, they, I don't think they had given it to us. The one who was pregnant for the fourth time is of ding, Matthew. Ding. You were right. You, do you like that, John? You were right. Say, wait, what was that? I'm sorry. You cut out for a second. You were right. Thank you. <laughs> of Matthew comes up next to June at Loaves and Fishes and, is, and says something to the extent of, you know, um, 
I forgot. Like she says something about like being angry about, or like you can sense that she is not happy she's pregnant again, right? And suddenly every police officer, uh, I or whatever available runs into loaves and fishes, and we prep for for them to be arrested. They just take June, and where do they take her, John? Because like this, uh. you had to tell me. So I fell asleep at the end of this episode. I'm so tired, y'all. I've had two really long weeks. I thought the episode finished with the the date at the airport. And like, John's nope. like, Mars, you need to really go back and rewatch the end. I think you fell asleep. And I totally did. So walk us through what happens. So basically, um, they kidnap her. Um, well, they don't kidnap her. They're like, hey, lady, get into this van and let's go somewhere, right? So June obviously has had this happen to her before and she honestly doesn't know where she's going and she gets taken to a TV studio and who does she meet but Aunt Lydia and she's quickly prepped and then she's literally thrown onto a set where Serena is there with the commander and it is so, it, it hollers back to so much tev- televangelist to even evangelical themes to you know the ways in which they're going to utilize the mode of television to get out their message and they actually um tape a message that they proclaim out to the world and remember gilead is a really secretive nation so the fact that they're doing one of these types international of please which is very much like what happens when north korea does stuff like this it's really you know harkens back to some of our news right so what does that all mean and and basically they want nicole back they say that she's been kidnapped and all you do is um an amazing soundtrack song plays in the background and the camera just gets closer and closer to serena uh, to june's face and you just look at this last shot of her glaring up at the camera with those blue eyes with just like it's like a mixture of panic it's a mixture of anger it's a mixture of disbelief it's everything and then the episode ends and well no the episode has one final part oh what is it maybe i fell asleep did you fall asleep <laughs> no i Jesus. don't think so i can't remember though i just stopped paying attention after big cinematic moments though <laughs> guys this is what happens when you're in your early 30s you just stop functioning at some point and like that's it um so First off, to the televangelist kind of thing. So in the book, we know of uh, Serena Joy and Fred as televangelists, like um, Pat Robertson style. So I thought first, like it was nice to see the nod to them in front of a camera again, because we know that that was a vehicle for for them, prop, like propaganda-ing, propagating um, the, the message that led up to gilead's creation like they they did a lot of televangelizing to get people on board with the idea of gilead um this is such a fucking left turn so we leave that scene in the airport and we're like okay well because like luke does take the locket from serena and goes i'll give it to her okay and so i was like okay who and then fred when he sees serena is kind of like it doesn't have to end we can fight luke broke serena not on purpose. I don't blame him, but he did. And like Serena is like, let's just fight for her. Cause like after being told I, you're going to be a race, like she'll never even know your name. Like, it, like this was such a, like, this was a shock to me. The fact that they were going to take on this like political bent of like petitioning like Canada and making a huge stink uh, via, via these televised pleas for their child. Um, we've seen this, uh, I'm going to butcher his name and I apologize in advance. Odo, uh, Weinberger, 
Weinmeier, the the young man who died in the hands of North, uh, like, well, we got him, I think, on American soil before he died, but he had been a held prisoner in North Korea for years, and, like, his parents had done televised interviews begging for their child. So, like, there's precedence for this, um, but it's interesting to watch it happen um, in the show because it's a very technological approach in a society that we've kind of seen forego technology. Um, so it really is. Yeah. And so it's like, all of a sudden I'm brought back to like, this isn't the past. This is like a dystopian future. So this, this makes sense. Like, um, the episode ends with, Oh, you're right. Yeah, buddy. The The episode ends. So good. With Luke receiving tapes via the underground network, I think. Um, from June, which is also a nod to the books. The books actually reference some cassette tapes from a, a handmade called Offred. Um, we don't ever get a name for Offred in the books, actually. So, um, so the tapes are June talking to Luke, like if as if he was in front of her, saying that like she's doing everything she needs to do to survive. Um, and she admits to him that part of that is that Nicole was conceived in love. So, you know, she says, a driver and I, like, you know, he's helped me survive here. Um, and like this, this I think is, it was beautifully acted by the actor who does Luke because you see him go through so many emotions as he listens. Like one is like the breath of relief that he can hear June's voice, the devastation at like, to a certain extent, his narrative that like June's child is a child of like violent rape, which it is, but it isn't right. That she had some agency in the, in, in that, um, I think is really, really devastating. Um, and, and like all these like emotions he does beautifully in conveying in his facial expressions as he listens to June. Um, this reminds me a little bit of like, uh, June's talking about like Nick and how she's had to survive and she reminds him that it's all for Hannah like one daughter is alive but she's she's there for Hannah and whatever it takes to survive for Hannah she'll do um it reminds me of Lemony did you ever read the books Lemony Snicket yes so I am obsessed with the the first Lemony Snicket film the one with um Jim Carrey not the new iteration on Netflix yeah and um there's this beautiful scene where the the siblings create a little sanctuary upstairs where they where they can just breathe right and like no matter what's going on around them they've created a sense of sanctuary and um i think june to a certain extent is is alluding to the fact that like even in the worst of cases you you have to find ways to survive and those become your sanctuary um not to make it funny but we see that in kimmy schmidt with like all of her little ways of surviving as a mole woman right like you can do anything for 10 minutes and like um that's kind of like a a beautiful sign of resiliency and like um i just i really i i liked this ending um it was difficult to process the horror of the televised plea for nicole against the backdrop of luke learning that nicole is not what he thought she was um I don't know if that's better or worse for Luke, to be honest. Well, she's able, to, I think he, I think he finally feels some relief because she tells him the truth and everything. And, you know, he knows that she hasn't been, I mean, it's horrible there, but he knows that, that she's, she's not like alone. Exactly. 
Right. Um, and, I, and this ending brings even more of a gut punch to the ending of the next episode then. Agreed. Agreed. So in regards to stuff that didn't work in this episode, we've covered most of it. I do want to say that like, I'm still flabbergasted at the fact that like social media has made an entrance into Gilead. So um, I said it in, in episode five or in episode four that I was a little disconcerted that they were watching videos of like the video that showed Luke at that protest. Um, for a society that has become so insular and has rejected all of it, it seems a little weird to me that like everyone knows that like she's out. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I don't think they've done a good job of explaining to me, and this is called, this is world building, and, and like, um, they're very good at world building. They're struggling a little bit with how to integrate technology in, a, in the way that they're using it in their storytelling, at least for me. Um, so that's something that doesn't work for me. Um, another is still the idea that June, so like, June seems to still think that she can negotiate her way out with Hannah. And like, I just, I keep rolling my eyes at that. I'm like, yeah, Hannah's parents too. are not going to give her up. Um, this is the only child that they wanted. This is like the storyline, well, right? they love her. Like, yeah. they love her. And that is not to take away from the horror of how she got there and everything. But like, June is underestimating that like, they will hand her over in a negotiation process. Like, I, I'm just kind of like, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, the only other thing that kind of like, I'm, I'm still a little confused about is like, we don't know a lot about how this war has, has happened. And like, they're getting dangerously close to needing to explain the outside world to viewers. Like, if you're going to put us in front of cameras that are airing out messages to the rest of the world like we need to know what the rest of the world is um we know that like chicago is the front of some of the war in the u.s we know that like um canada is a it's still it's itself we know that alaska it's alaska i think is the capital of the united states that's resisted um but we don't really know what this whole world looks like and like the problem is They've kept the world of Gilead very small for two and a half seasons, and the book definitely did. All of a sudden, if you're going to explode that out, you can't, you can't not give us answers as to what's happening. Yeah, like, I'm really, like, you know in the scene of Man in a High Castle where they show you, like, the, um, uh, like the geographic outline of the entire right, United States. Right, right, right. That's what I want with Gilead because when they're talking about the military power of Gilead, I'm like, mm, I just don't feel like they, like they are powerful, but like, oh, I feel like they're powerful. They have nukes like, and, um, and if there's anything we know, uh, not to make grand sweeping generalizations, but if you were to poll, if there is a demographic that is mostly armed in the U S um, I think that we would find Gilead sympathizers metaphorically within the same group that is also hoarding guns. So, so no, this, that, that to me is not unrealistic at all. Like, uh, it's completely realistic. Um, I mean, look, like, what was it, John, maybe like a year and a half ago that I took down my old youth group online because they were like showing like a man's night with like guns. And I like literally posted on Facebook. I was like, the fuck is this? 
like why is a youth group taking a bunch of like college age kids out to like a range to like shoot shit like what what is this and it was like the wording of it was really awful that like men need to find themselves through like activities like shooting guns and I was like oh oh no that's not okay um that is not actually a uh, a condemnation on owning guns it was the convoluted kind of relationship between Christianity guns and masculinity that I was questioning so that totally makes sense to me um on a side note so no one's going to talk about the fact that all it would take is a paternity test to prove that the Waterfords have literally no connection. We need Mari up in here. Right. I'm like, come on, man. Like, let's just do one paternity test. So um, that is episode five. Uh, great episode. Um, very good episode. Uh, episode six is what I would call a visual delight. And trauma, and trauma. I mean, the end of episode six is probably one of my top moments of the whole series. Right. And when I say yeah, visual the delight, there's a lot of visuals in this episode that are stunning and are meant to kind of make your, the pit in your stomach drop. They don't actually pan out if you think about them too long, um, but they're meant to make us go like, ooh, ooh, right? So um, let's start off with uh, so this episode moves us from Gilead to Washington, D.C., uh, to, the, to the government, to where the sons of Jacob have taken power. Yes. Um, and we've got June and Aunt Lydia on a bus that is, looks like a bordello. It's like covered in red fabric. I will say one of the best moments of this entire episode, though, was the conversation between Aunt Lydia and June for me. I agree. There was a lot there to unpack. So as they're driving into D.C., um, you know, June has been borrowed to make a national plea from D.C. Um, we get it's at first we only see the reflection, but we get this reflection of the Washington Monument that has been transformed into a cross. Yeah, this is that. this is the most overt criticism of Christianity the show has done yet. Um, the show skirts around the fact that they are literally talking about modern day evangelicalism and purity culture. Um, but this is like an overt, like, dude, Christians are at the forefront of Gilead. And for those listeners who are Christian, like that is not a criticism of Christianity. It is a criticism of the forms of Christianity that could get us here. Um, and for folks who are like, there's only one Christianity, like, no, there's a plurality of Christianities um like so many that they're like you couldn't even count the ways in which christianity is practiced um but well, in also we get a little bit more of a uh you know uh, input in you know when they talk about a quiverful you know we're understanding what types of christ evangelical conservative right. fundamentalism we're really looking at right um it's interesting uh because they're the same ones who we keep having to talk out of um putting children in, <laughs> in cages here so there's a disconnect uh but again the washington monument is a cross and then uh we get a really good view of like what i call the marketing package for the sons of jacob so like we get to see their flags everywhere their colors everywhere um the sons of jacob flag is interestingly enough a peace dove which for christians is a huge symbol um it's a peace dub set to like nazi colors um 
I was really disturbed by that even more. I know for some folks, the Washington Monument was a really big aha moment. For me, seeing the Dove of Peace kind of co-opted into this violent, violent symbol of a, a deranged form of Christianity, I was kind of like, yeah, that's powerful. Like that's, that's very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, it's like they're coming into like Hitler's Berlin, you know? Well, when the, it's like the scene with the man of the high castle, um, you know, for folks, for folks who haven't seen man in the high castle, uh, it's on Amazon prime. It is a delicious show to watch. It is. And good. like when they go to Berlin in the last season, not this current season, but the last one, when um, I think it's Jacob goes there and you can really see like Berlin as the capital of the world. Right. Cause the, obviously Germany and you know, the uh, world war two people won and they beat the United States and everyone. So, right. Um, I thought this was funny. Did you notice that they changed Union Station to National Station? So like, fuck unions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, I mean, it sounds really petty, but like, yo, like, th- these are conversations we're having on the national stage right now. These are dialogues we're having right now. Like, yeah, unions, people think that we're so far away. Like, we really not, aren't. We're, to, we're really to not there. We're really not. Um, the gender seclusion and exclusion is much more pronounced in D.C. So like. It's terrifying. When, so the so when June uh, they get to the station they're waiting for the Waterfords, um, they get to another Aunt Lydia who pretty much shows June that if she's not being used in that moment she needs to be on her knees. So that is even a shock. And look for, down. And look down. That was a shock for Aunt Lydia because Aunt Lydia was kind of like, "What is this?" Because um, she used she's used to her girls having to a certain extent a tiny bit of agency, which we had not known noticed that until we had something to compare it to. Right. So, um, so that is crazy. And then one of the many surprises in how different DC is from Gilead is the handmaids in Gilead have an extra accessory. John, what is it? Their mouths are like sewed shut. Not so, but like they're, they're shut with rings. So (laughs) you totally jumped to the big surprise. Oh, sorry. Whoops. No worries. The <laughs> it's fucked up regardless. The, the handmaids have these mouth covers. So like symbolically and actually officially, as John just spoilered, um, they, they are to be silent. So um, you can tell Aunt Lydia has never seen that. Uh, June is completely taken like aback by it. Um, I had a really visceral reaction to their mouths being covered, actually. Me too. Because like there's nothing more... I don't know if like, okay, so when I was doing research for my dissertation, I, um, the opening kind of part of my dissertation was looking at, do you remember the Santa Barbara shooter, Elliot Roger? Yep. So Elliot Roger was one of the mass shooters, uh, domestic terrorists in the U.S. He left this huge manifesto after he shot up a ton of um, people, particularly women, in Santa Barbara and the beginning of his manifesto was like a dystopian like novel it was like this description of a world where men would never have to put up with women um they could just be used to incubate um like male children and then female breeding stock and like the first time I read his uh I, I spent like the whole night reading his his manifesto um and like that is exactly the world that incels and men's rights activists hope for. 
Like they are lit. And like, I don't say that as some type of crazy ass fucking feminist. Like I'm married to a dude. I love the dudes in my life. Like I, I say this as a completely rational human beings. There is a subset of anti-women culture in this country that very much would like to see this like happen. And if you don't believe me, just Reddit, go to Reddit, go to, I, would, I don't want you to go into 4chan because it's really dark, but Reddit is easily acceptable, accessible and like, I actually love Reddit, but you will find subreddits that honest to God are just horrifying visions for the future when it comes to women. Um, so I, yeah, I had like a really visceral reaction to the mouth covers. Uh, also terrible. adding that to my Halloween costume. <laughs> oh my God. So, um, so they all go to Commander Winslow's. High Commander Winslow. High Commander Winslow. Not low commander, even though he might be on the down low. <laughs> um, high Commander Winslow's house. Um, and I think this is supposed to show us that the Waterfords are really insignificant. Like for a, for a very long time, we've thought of them as like really high up. Like they might be high up in Boston, but they're not high up overall um but i think that coming to the winslows is a very strategic move by fred um because i think fred knows he needs to get serena back on his side and what better way than to walk into a house that has like nine hundred thousand babies like literally it was like a, a child care there were so many children everyone is shocked including june and her the martha is like everyone's like whoa how does this family have this many babies right exactly and i mean it was so many it was like they have a child in a world with especially in a world with no children you're gonna see how greedy they really are well and i think that like that to me was like a critique of like the fact that this the system hasn't eliminated privilege even even amongst the commanders because like he's on like they're like on baby number seven and like what if children are so interchangeable why would they not give away extras and i'm not saying give away like a pringles bag i'm saying like serena joy's life dream is a child is it fair that this woman has like seven so it's just and that's show- the privilege of being a high commander exactly you know? so it goes to show that like there are still hierarchies even amongst them um so I think like Fred is like smart to bring Serena to a vision of a future they could have. Right. And now that we know that a child really is all she's ever wanted, I just, I think it was smart. It was smart to bring her here so that she could just drool at the mouth. And then um, commander Winslow's wife also is wooing Serena. She's, she's like very like transgressively is like, by the way, I read your book, loved it which is one, saying she can read, (laughs) and two, saying that she views Serena as someone admirable in her own right, which I thought was interesting. Um, So I want to ask you, do you feel like Commander Winslow hits on Waterford in the pool scene? Ooh, I don't know, but it's Christopher North, right? Is that him? It's, uh, I only know him as Sadler from SVU. So I'm like. I've never seen SVU. Really? Yeah, I don't. I'm not really into that stuff. Oh, wow. The world's more bleak already. The world is bleak already. So I. Well, whatever that hottie toddy is, we all love that actor. 
He's also he's also currently uh or he did have a reoccurring role in Pose, um, as well. So as like a high, he's got a big role in a lot of gay subcultural, um, you know, TVs and TV shows and films. Like he was Oz, you know, and and he had that gay storyline. So I read that scene as as like very homoerotic. Um, which is different than thinking he's overtly hitting on him. And I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this. <laughs> so uh, I have a bunch of friends who study homoeroticism in- Christopher Maloney. There we go. Who study homoeroticism in purity culture. And so one of the, one of the unintended consequences of purity culture is that by segregating the sexes, you're asking them to spend more and more time together. <laughs> and uh, what you see is like this homoeroticism pop up in both women and men um, due to the segregation, right? And, um, and so what I liked was the idea, which we hadn't touched on, we know that Emily was considered a gender traitor, but like, I mean, statistically, there's gotta be gay commanders, right? <laughs> Um, and for people who are like the commanders would, why would they would have been killed? No, they would have played along. And if you need any proof, look at the Catholic church and the percentage of gay men that are clergy and continue to prosecute, prosecute's not the right word, persecute queer people in the church, right? So um, th- that is by far the best, like the best example I can give. So like, is it, did I read that scene as an overt, like, commander winslow hitting on waterford no is it homoerotic as fuck yes i mean they're literally playing with poles and then he's like massaging his shoulder um but what i think it's supposed to remind us is again none of the problems they had prior to gilead none of the like they're all still here they're just popping up in different ways so and then we have the moment john where june goes upstairs keeps talking to the handmaid handmaid's not talking we're all like she's being really fucking rude And then she turns around and she has three chains, three like rings through her mouth. Yep. One of the most horrifying moments I've ever seen on television history. That moment took my breath away. What? There's June is horrified. Oh, June looks like she's trying to find a pillow to scream into. She's like definitely freaking the fuck out. So the next, the, the, the episode continues with filming a commercial uh, or a, a like commercial's not the right word, a TV moment in which the Waterfords are again asking for Nicole. So like this has become a thing. They're filming these like, what is it they called it in the Hunger Games? Propos? Yeah. They're filming these propos. Propaganda. There's propaganda. Did you see the Daenerys moment with the wings? Um, you mean the most, it was a beautiful moment. I mean, she, my girl beautiful. June had her Daenerys moment with the wings popping up behind her. And like, so is that trying to show that she is like the angel trying to save Gilead? I mean, there's so much there, right? There's a lot there. I think part of it is to, um, for me, it was a little bit of a biblical, like the angel announcing to Mary, right? That she is with child. Um, also that she herself could be, an angel, an angel is not, angel is a neutral term. I mean, like Lucifer was an angel, right? Gabriel was an angel. So like, it doesn't necessarily mean anything in regards to her being good or bad, but like just that she could be bringing news. Um, in that same scene, we find out that Nick is now a commander because he shows up. Waterford keeps referring to him as son, which is patronizing, but also like, wait, how close are you guys? Mm-hmm. 
right? Like why all of a sudden I became very on edge that there seemed to be some real closeness between Nick and Fred um, to the point where Nick literally grabs June's fingers when, while he stands in for Fred in this commercial and no one bats an eye. Um, so I was a little dis like discombobulated there because I was like, wait, wait, wait. Like I remember him saying he was going to the front but commander is a lofty jump from being a driver, even if he was an I. Um, so yeah, he's kind of gone away for a little while. He did, and our understanding was he was going to the front. So the Swiss show up, of course, <laughs> and they're acting as inter intermediaries between Canada and Gilead. Fucking Swiss. Right. The, here's the thing. I'm, like, really annoyed by this. Um, the care with which Canada took care of Emily completely laughs in the face of the Canadians being willing to do business with Gilead. So this to me is nonsensical. Like we saw the ethic of care that Canada had with Emily and Nicole, right? And the way they talked to her when they found her by the river, an all-female staff at the hospital, letting her hold Nicole until she was ready, like the resettlement, all of that. I'm not particularly sure what can why Canada is now willing to, to negotiate. But here they are. Here's the Swiss. And she's like, they're my child. She's my child. Like, and they're like, it's not that simple. And she's like, I can get the dad to tell you too. And they also say, we know that Commander Waterford isn't the father. We've heard the tapes. And I'm like, then why are you here? Which is, again, why I need to know what the world looks like to understand why we, like, we, me being U.S. pre-Trump, would never have negotiated with terrorists. Ever. Like, we would not have negotiated back a child into an authoritarian, oppressive, violent culture. We wouldn't have done it. So, I don't know. It's, like, a little, it's, it's a bit crazy to me. Um, I hear you. I mean, yeah. Right? Like, there's, like, what is, I don't understand what, what game we're playing here. I don't understand the Swiss and what they're trying to do here. I mean, there's so much wrong with this. I mean, they were just using these people. And they're, I mean, that's how I really feel about the whole situation. Right. It's, I just think it's bad writing. Um, we're missing pieces here. Um, external well, we just don't know the geopolitics, right? I right. mean, it's been so, right. such an, I mean, the whole first season basically took place inside a house you know and so we're so completely you know not in uh the world with gilead like we're in like a house in gilead right right agreed and so june promises that she can get the the she can get nicole's dad to talk to them right and so that night nick comes to the house and june's allowed to come outside i like all of these should be red flags for us like all of them and like i didn't pick up on them but like June goes outside because no one's watching her apparently, even though there's apparently. a bajillion eyes. Even those like a like a lady with her mouth sewn shut. Right. And she goes outside and she's like, I told them we could like negotiate. Like you just need to, you need to be a dad for your daughter. Like you need to be there. You need to tell them to leave her the fuck alone. And like Nick is like, you don't get in bed with the government. Like it's not smart. Like, and like he's kissing her, but like something's off. And like the next day the Swiss show up at the Winslow's house and like, she's like, did you talk to Nick? And they were like, um, I'm sorry, but like, you don't know who you're dealing with. Like, 
you you don't know him we we would not do business with someone like him and like this is like a huge thing because this is finally taking back the narrative that you and I have criticized which is that that June has a safe space this is world shattering yeah, her safe space never existed. Her it daughter was not born into this love. I mean, it might, might have been that way in shape or form, but her daughter was born apparently vis-a-vis a man who's even more horrible. Who might than be worse than Fred or like anyone. Lawrence or anyone. So like June is is obviously like, she's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'll talk to him. Like, I and like a part of me is like, I don't care what he did. He's her father. If he begged for her to stay, let him stay. Like, but then I was like, wait, he didn't beg for her to stay. <laughs> it took me a second to catch myself that I was like, he's still her dad and gets to stay. And then I was like, wait, Nick didn't ask for them to keep Nicole. Like, oh, and then yeah, I, Nick's like, I don't want her. Or, or like, no, we don't like, know what he said. Believer. Like he was like, bring her home. Right. Uh, so Serena, in one of the cruelest moments in the show, was like, "Nick was an original crusader. We wouldn't be here without him." It's weird. Like you guys never talked about that with all the time you spent together, and like, God, watching her stick that knife into June was awful. Yeah. And I've like sat for the past week with what does original crusader mean? Like, what does that mean? I even like rewatched the episode with Brent. And he was like, oh, man, you, like, blew up the White House. Like, he, like, he had to have done something horrific that caused massive death. Massive death. And, like, June realizing that she doesn't know anything. Like, she's the Jon Snow of this entire show. Like, it was just really awful. It was just really awful. Um, And, like, now, thinking back, if you look at, like, all the conversations you and I had, we've had a ton of conversations of, like, I just don't really get how Nick gets away with that. Like when we were talking about like Serena giving away Nicole and like Nick holding back Commander Waterford and being like, I don't think you should leave this room. Like you and I had red flags throughout a lot of stuff. We just hadn't picked up on the fact that like Nick is a bigger deal than Waterford. <laughs> He's a big deal. And then they do that horrifying shot of him like walking past his troops in this like black Vader outfit. And like They're everyone- all like- doing the like Kyle Hitler almost and it was like shit we don't I mean what do you do when you realize you slept with like this version's potential Hitler right like what 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 goes on in your mind like it's funny because like a friend of mine was like we've all dated a Nick like we have all dated someone who we thought we knew entirely and then the second our like rose-colored glasses come off we're like oh my god they're like a monster I am like so stupid right and like this is that add in the genocide (laughs) add in the genocide add in the fact that like there is a child involved and that he literally just turned his back on his child because fundamentally we know that evil people can still love right so like he made an active choice not that he's a crusader but that he turned his back on nicole in june like I think that's a big deal. So then, episode's almost done, but it has two really great moments. Um, Talk to me about the Aunt Lydia conversation that impacted you so much. You know, I've been a big fan of, you know, the Aunt Lydia that we've been coming to see right now and kind of breaking down her character of like what they've been trying to do with Serena. And 
you know, June is horrified, you know, and what we find out regarding the treatment of women and, and their silencing of their voice completely, they're just there literally as vessels. Um, Aunt Lydia's horrified too. Aunt Lydia doesn't want her girls to not have a voice. And June has a conversation with Aunt Lydia that I think is one of the most, one of probably the most honest conversations they've ever really had with each other. And so I think at the end of the day, when you look at Aunt Lydia and June, obviously Aunt Lydia is a servant of the state and does and believes in this mission. Right. But she does not want her girls to be silenced. So she's right, still not June all the way has there. a beautiful moment where she's like, do you want us to be silent? And like Aunt Lydia is just like, no. No. And she's like, she looks so emotional with that scene, like saying no. Like, and I wonder if like literally Aunt Lydia and I think I said this to you offline where I was like, I don't like that I'm about to say this, but like maybe part of the reason Aunt Lydia has been so violent, this isn't to humanize her because she's a, you and I have argued about this. For me, she's not redeemable. She is a violent, violent woman who is like horrific. But like, what if the reason she's been so hard on her girls is because she knew that if she didn't keep them in line, there were much worse ways that they would keep them in line. Well, getting, I mean, let's jump to the final scene, right? And let's talk about that and what Serena does say to June. I should have silenced you when I had the choice. I should have put a ring in your mouth when I, I had the choice. Should have put a ring in your mouth, right? So yeah. let's talk about this scene because this is probably one of the most defining scene. I mean, this is a scene between two female characters that is so brilliantly done and beautifully acted that it's stunning. It was like watching... Ramona and Sonia fighting in the last episode of Real Housewives of New York. It was so dramatic. I didn't know what to do with myself. <sighs> I literally was like, oh my God, clip. Um, they, they put the mask. So Aunt Lydia puts the mask on June. And then June is going out to this public prayer that had been alluded to when we were talking to the Swiss. Cause like Waterford says to the Swiss, are you coming to the public prayer? And the woman's like, yeah, I'll catch it on TV. It's all right, bro. Um, so we end up at the Lincoln uh, Memorial, the Lincoln, like former Lincoln, former Memorial. because Lincoln's entire body has been blown off. And all I can no, think of is head. just his head. Well, his torso. It, all we see is his legs and his arms. And um and I and in my head I'm like hashtag thanks Nick, um because I I'm just gonna assume anything that was blown up was my Nick, um and June has her mouth covered. Serena comes up to her and she's like the silence is nice, and like I was like you bitch, bitch. <laughs> like, that whole scene I'm just Jesus. like salt in the wound Serena. Jesus, I'm like on crazy island right now like. And, like, June's like, yeah, it'd be nice if you reciprocated, like, aka shut up. And, like, sir, like June has a breaking point where she has this string of sentences with Serena that are so powerful. Like, because Serena, to a certain extent, is like, well, I love Nicole. And June goes, you don't know how to love. Like, you've you built this world. Right, you're incapable of love. You've built this world just so you can have someone and you don't like you are small you are cruel and you are petty and she and empty, deserves empty. it look i'm telling you there will come a day john in the middle of the day where i'm going to repeat this 
word for word to you. <laughs> I'm going to use this for every public fight I ever have from here on out. Like it was, you are small, you are cruel, you are empty. It is the opposite of the help. You is small, you is kind. I, oh my, you is God. Oh, I can't. I was like, oh, and you can see every word hitting Serena like a fucking brick, right? No, like a truck. Yeah, because what do you say to that? It's true. This this she woman, knows it's true about herself. She knows it's true, and like, there's not like she's in the this prison of her own making. That like again, she can decide to get out of it. She's choosing not to, and she's now digging in and causing even more harm, like by digging in. And creating ripples of effect of harm and trauma that she can't come back from. So, I mean, just a stunning moment in the show that should win them both Emmy nominations. Um, it was just beautiful. Um, and then June kind of pulls up her, her, her mouth mask. She's like, I think I've said my piece. Pulls it up. And then um, Commander Waterford is leading this like ocean of handmaids in a prayer for Nicole. And in a moment, and you can tell me if you read this differently, in a moment of defiance, he begins his prayer and the handmaids don't kneel. They don't kneel until June kneels. I did recognize that. I think that is letting us, the viewer, have a visual symbol of who's in charge of which army, even if they don't know they're an army yet. And I was like, bloop, I love it. Like, I love it. Symbolically, I love it. Um, that's also like a very historical place to give a speech. It's where MLK kind of like famously fought for equality. So just a fucking fantastic ending. Um, most women I know have been really discombobulated since last Wednesday. It's Tuesday night. So tomorrow the new episode drops. Um, but it was just, I, it was a lot to take in. And the, the politicizing of Handmaid's Tale going to DC for a lot of us that are doing like the resisting today feels so close to home that it's like, oh, oh, jeez. Like, it's like, this is happening. There's parts of this that are happening um, in, in small ways and in big ways. So uh, very little didn't work for me in this episode. Pretty much everything worked for me. I um, love this episode. Agreed. I will say that I'm a little confused about the Waterfords. I, like, Fred had been demoted. Like, they just, they seem to be like Teflon. Like, at this, like, a lot of shit's gone bad and they're still keep going strong. Um, I told you I love the visual effect of the, the rings in the mouth. Logistically, it makes no sense. How do they eat? Um, how do they scream in pain during labor? How do they, like, they're not all on G-tubes. So it is visually stunning. It is logistically bananas. It's, it's just not going to work. Uh, and the idea of taking them in and out, anyone who has piercings knows that that's not a thing. Um, so, uh, it's actually like really dumb, uh, from a logistics perspective, but visually it completely worked for me. Um, and then maybe the one thing that doesn't work for me, and maybe that's cause there's like a tiny bit of like resistance on my part to accept that sometimes you do date a complete and utter piece of shit is the fact that, that Nick like doesn't even say goodbye, doesn't anything, um, that not that him, that June and Nicole mean nothing to him is I mean, I know we're building out Nick. This is not the last time we see Nick, even by a long shot. But still, I don't know. I don't know. That's the stupid, that's the stupid in me. Believe people when they tell you who they are the first time. Uh, <laughs> Nick's a piece of shit, so. 
Yeah, I, this episode really worked. I mean, it sets up, I think, the ending of this next season. Um, I think this is a transition season. I think the next season is going to be something. The war. The war or whatever's going to happen. I do think we're in for some big deaths. I'm still pulling that string. I, I don't think that we're going to make, everyone's going to make it out of this season. Um, but I'm curious to see what they do um, moving forward. Yeah. And we will know tomorrow morning when the new episode drops. So oh my goodness. very excited. I love starting my Wednesday mornings off with, with terror. I don't, I have to watch it at night. See tomorrow night, I'm going to see Midsummer, which will tie beautifully with Handmaid's Tale. So we can talk about it uh, the next time we record. Wonderful. So thank you everyone for sticking with us. We know it's a long episode because it was two really powerful episodes. Uh, so we will see you. Uh, Hopefully in about a week, week and a half. Blessed be the fruit. May the Lord open. <laughs> <laughs>